we're back. Welcome to the Gaily Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Robin. Today, we're going to be talking about Ali Shin. She's an LGBT activist, badass, superstar, and the list goes on. She's been the executive director at the ACLU of Oklahoma, and now she's at Freedom of Oklahoma, one of the state's most prominent LGBTQ plus nonprofits. So let's jump into it. Well, thank you for joining us today, Allie. Uh, I want to talk to you first about the most timely issue. Recently, the Supreme Court ruled that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 applies to sexual orientation and gender identity. First of all, what does that mean and how does it impact Oklahomans? Yeah, uh, Robin, thank you so much for having me. Um, Ali Shin, my pronouns are she, her, and hers, executive director of Freedom Oklahoma and longtime Gaily reader. Um, you know, I think it, it was really important to me when I was uh, young and coming out before I even went to a gay bar and like got the guts up to go to a gay bar, I would discreetly pick up a copy of the Gaily, right? And while things are, um, so much better, I think, for LGBTQ2S youth than they've ever been. Um, and certainly, I was able to have a much more pleasant coming out experience than people who came before me because of the work they did. Um, it's still really difficult to come out in Oklahoma. And seeing the gaily, I mean, Picasso is a place that I saw it a lot. Um, or now I pick it up at Elemental Coffee, right? Like knowing that there's, um, you know, not only community members out there for me before I found my community, knowing that they were out there, but like that there's a strong enough community to have a newspaper was like absolutely incredible and important to me. So thank you for the work that you do. Um, yeah, so a, a big decision, right? Title seven, uh, we have employment non-discrimination all across this nation now, and that is so exciting and um, frankly surprising. I was talking with Senator Kay Floyd before the decision and she was assuring me that she was just certain, she's like, justices read the law, it's gonna go our way. And, um, you know, this is a lesson in not disagreeing with Kay Floyd. I was like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> there's, there's no way. Uh, you don't have a read on the political situation. And she just kept saying, I have a read on like the judiciary and I'm telling you, uh, they're gonna read the live, listen to these arguments. Um, and she was right. And that's just such an incredible victory. I think it gets to the very heart of what non-discrimination means, right? Um, so often we think about the LGBTQ2S movement and we think about, um, a lot of people think it's over. Uh, and it's just not, right? Uh, marriage equality was not the end. It wasn't even close to the end. Uh, it was an important victory for so many of us. Um, it didn't change lives for a lot of us. Uh, but what we know is that we have to have to be moving toward a place where we have equal protection under the law. And this is a huge step in that direction. What it means for Oklahoma, um, prior to that decision, Norman, Oklahoma was the only place in Oklahoma where you could not be fired for being who you are. And now there's nowhere in Oklahoma where you can legally be terminated or denied employment because of your sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, we know that's a big difference between legal protections and lived equality, but the legal protections are here now, and that's a huge step toward making life better for LGBTQ2S Oklahomans. It sure is. So I'm trying to grasp the logic of those who don't agree with the court ruling. Um, yeah. Why do you think people were against the ruling? Yeah, well, I think first, you know, it's, it's really good that the Constitution is not subject to an opinion poll, right? right. <laughs> And I think that we have to, we have really major shifts in this country, and sometimes it is up to 
the court to help us with those shifts. Um, think of, you know, prior to Loving v. Virginia, the case that made interracial marriage legal in this country, across the country. Um, a minority of Americans believed that interracial marriage should be legal. A couple years after that court decision came down, I think it was 1977, um, the country overwhelmingly believed that interracial marriage should be legal. And we've seen that exact same shift happen around marriage equality as well, right? Um, you know, these are fundamental rights that speak to kind of the heart of what a lot of our values are in America. When we think about American values, we think about that everybody ought to have the right to make a living for themselves um, and for their families. And, you know, right or wrong, we're very tied to our capitalist identities in this country. And then to force people out of it because of their sexual orientation or gender identity surely is something we can all get behind that's wrong. But you've said it, not everybody can get behind that. Um, I don't wanna presume to know um, what people's individual motivations are. I will say that I've talked to with a lot of people who own businesses, who aren't members of our community and don't spend a lot of time with our community, that might be a little bit weary or even afraid um, of who our community is. But from a business perspective, they can get there with us. We're not gonna, if somebody shows up and does their job, then I'm for them, right? Um, I think that a lot of, we, we try at Freedom Oklahoma to think that discrimination is motivated more by ignorance or a lack of understanding or opportunity to understand than it is by hate. Of course, that's not always true, and we would never encourage any single member of our community to put themselves in an unsafe situation to try and change hearts and minds. That's our job. Um, but we think that the more that people interact with members of our communities, the more they understand that not only should we have the right to work, we should have absolutely every other fundamental constitutional right that every other person has. Um, I don't need them to love us. I just need them to leave us alone, right? Uh, but hopefully at some point they can love us too. Uh, in states like Oklahoma, where there was no formal LGBT workplace laws, were there actually a lot of LGBT people getting fired that you know of? Yeah, totally. Um, it's actually one of the primary calls we get for assistance at Freedom Oklahoma. I tell a story. Uh, at one point, we had a young transgender person in our office who was there for a meeting to talk about the ways they were discriminated against in the workplace. And while that person was there, we received two other calls about workplace discrimination in the hour and a half that they were in our office. Um, that is unfortunately commonplace. Um, you know, again, we distinguish between lived equality and legal protections. For instance, we know that it's completely illegal to fire somebody for being black in this country. We also know that in subtle and insidious ways that happens all the time, that we create inhospitable um, work environments for black Americans that by uh, a thousand paper cuts, we push them out of the workforce. Um, so we know that that happens for LGBTQ2S Oklahomans as well. And we know that it'll continue to happen, unfortunately. But what we're really thrilled about is now that we have the law on our side, these are things that we can begin to push back against and help um, help people understand that they have an obligation to their LGBTQ2S employees and potential employees. And we'd like to help them with those obligations. Very good. So touching back on uh, the workplace protection rights for LGBT people, why do you think it came so many years after marriage equality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question that I wish I had a, a real succinct answer to. I can kind of take some guesses. Um, 
I think, you know, marriage was really part of the movement um, for a lot of reasons like that, that marriage equality was about um, helping people understand that we're just like them, right? We just want to, we want to get married. Um, we just want to be able to adopt kids. We, you know, want to love who we love. We are the same as you. We want the same things as you. And I don't want to, for a single second, say that marriage equality was not an incredibly important decision. It was. I sat and sobbed and sobbed when I saw that come out. And I will never forget the feeling I had sitting in the back of Mayflower Church um, and watching Laurie Walkie uh, marry couple after couple that first day that it was legal in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that there were some, and, and I think like the movement would say that there were some mistakes made in our quest for marriage equality. Um, and that one of those was presenting uh, like, hey, we're just like you. Um, queer and trans people often are not just like straight and cisgender people. And that's okay. Our rights and liberties cannot be conditioned upon our ability to fit ourselves into a specific box. Um, and I think that, that that's where it gets a little tougher, right? We have this big victory. Um, from very lovely couples, like everybody loves, you know, James, everybody loves Edie Windsor, um, like heroes of the movement, no doubt. Um, but what we want to talk about as a movement now is, you know, what about the people who can't pass, right? What about the people who don't want to get married or who do want to have a poly relationship or who, you know, want to be very attached to like some really important things in queer culture and don't want to have to hide that about themselves in order to have equal rights. Um, I'm not sure if that's why employment discrimination uh, took so long or not. What I do know is that the more that we're able to be our authentic selves unapologetically in our quest for rights, the faster that the movement is going to go. Very good. Other than LGBT plus rights, what are some other civil rights issues that you've worked on in the state? I know you were ACLU for a while, so. Yeah. So at ACLU, my work is primarily around uh, criminal justice reform, um, something that's really important to, to me, to the ACLU, to the state. Um, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma City, and I went to Northeast High. Uh, where I was uh, one of a, a handful of white students uh, in my class. And like, I'll tell you, Robin, I was not a good kid. I just wasn't. I was into drugs. I was into alcohol. I was um, running around, running from the cops, you know, getting into as much trouble as I could get into. And what I saw, you know, people in positions of authority meet me as just, you know, a, a cute little white girl with a little trouble needing to be challenged my peers were met with being entered into the criminal justice system. And, you know, when we see uh, black and brown bodies being murdered by the police and we immediately go through, well, what were they doing wrong? I can tell you, I can give you a list of things that I've done wrong and it has never landed me in even a smidge of physical danger from police officers. I have run from them. I have talked back to them. I, you know, have stood in front of them with drugs on my body. I have broken laws in front of police officers and never has that put me in even a little bit of danger. Um, so I say all that to say, I, I, I think that, you know, that also is an LGBTQ2S issue. Um, and at Freedom Oklahoma, we believe that all issues are queer and trans issues because LGBTQ2S people live on the margins of every marginalized group in this country. What that means is that if you are living in a marginalized community and you are also queer or trans, uh, that things are even harder for you. 
And what we want to do at Freedom Oklahoma is recognize that um, we have the backs of all of our community members, not just our community members who need to get married or need, you know, to not go to conversion therapy, but we have the backs of our community members who are facing deportation. We have the backs of our community members who are facing police violence, who are facing poverty, um, who don't have a way to get to work um, because our buses don't run regularly. Um, you know, we think of like all of these all of these things that we do, voting is an LGBTQ2S rights issue. Oklahoma has a sickness, um, and that sickness permeates absolutely every one of our systems, and LGBTQ2S people are affected even worse by all of that sickness, so we want to go get their backs wherever we can. That's awesome. So speaking of police brutality, what are your thoughts on how our local government has responded to the protest, not just the government, but the police. And... Yeah, so I'm, I mean, we're at Freedom Oklahoma. We, um, like a lot of other groups, are really concerned with these charges that we've seen against young protesters, just outrageous, uh, trumped up charges against young people that are absolutely designed to limit the speech rights of the rest of us, right? This is a, uh, a message um, that you better not protest in Oklahoma City or you're going to have your life ruined. Um, and, he, you know, it seems that they're willing to go pretty far to ruining young lives in order to get that message across. Um, I think that that should be alarming to all of us. When we think about, you know, how the LGBTQ2S movement started, it was through black and brown trans women and black and brown women throwing bricks at the police. That's not something a lot of Oklahomans would have supported <laughs> back in the day, right? And I think that... Yeah. When we think about seeing these these mostly young black and brown bodies kicking tear gas back at the police today, and we see so many members of our own communities um, responding negatively, I, I think we've really lost sight of how we gain what we need in this country. And it has never been through a well-reasoned and principled argument with the oppressor. It has always been for standing up for what we need and being willing to go after it with full force and vigor. And that is through protest, um, and that right cannot be infringed upon. I think in a lot of ways, uh, pride is more alive than it's ever been this year when we see the country rise up for Black lives. Um, pride began as a protest against police brutality, and while I desperately missed being able to be with our community this year um, in celebration of all of our victories and being able to love each other and hug each other, which is so important to LGBTQ2S community, um, I'm just deeply, deeply, deeply honored to stand with BLM and to know that the reasons that Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera stood up at the Stonewall Inn, um, that their work wasn't in vain, that that movement continues through BLM today. Yeah. So what do you think, what kind of concrete change is needed at our government level to improve the life of Black Oklahomans? Yeah, well, I, I just want to say that I want to lift up um, what we're seeing out of BLM OKC right now. Um, they've got some really incredible and concise demands um, that they put out there, and we at Freedom Oklahoma stand with those demands. Um, so sorry, I don't have the letter in front of me right now, but I would love to, to send it over to you, and I'm sure that you have it as well. Um, but, you know, Cherie, um, who's also a member of our community, um, and all of the amazing people who work with BLM OKC, people who work with Dream Action OKC, which I want to I wanna shout out them. I think they're the most powerful organization in Oklahoma right now. Um, they've done a lot of incredible work to lay out, like, hey, 
here's what's not working for us. Here's what we need to have a free life and to all, you know, go home and stop protesting. Um, honestly, we, we stand with BLM. What they say we need is what we're going to help them get. Our local government and their racism within our own state's culture, is that, do you think that's part of the problem is the years of that or? Yeah, I mean, so what I have learned about white supremacy um, over the last several years of trying to do some, some real intentional anti-racist work, what I've learned about white supremacy is that it, it is in all of us. We were all raised in a white supremacist system um, and because of that, we all have to take stock and reckoning um, of the ways that that's affected us. And not just, I mean, it's in our actions, it's in our brains, it's in our systems. And our systems are, are built in order to maintain power structures, right? So our systems are the place where it's most insidious, but it lives in the thoughts and the actions of individual actors within the system, uh, which is a completely exhausting statement. It means we've got a lot of work to do, um, but it's, you know, a moral imperative because we're exhausted by having to carry that work, but our black family is exhausted by trying to live in this. Um, and I think with that in mind, it, it's not only a moral imperative, it's the only thing that matters. So with these issues that we've talked about regarding civil rights, how can you can explain the process of why voting is so important and can change? Yeah, so at Freedom Oklahoma, we say that voting is not the only tactic, but it is an important tactic, um, and we want to work to make it an even more uh, important tactic. So we face voter suppression across this country. Voter suppression disproportionately impacts uh, Black and Brown Americans, but it also disproportionately impacts LGBTQ2S Americans. Um, we're more likely our population to be unhomed, and that makes it harder to register to vote, much less get to the polling place or more likely to be working an hourly wage job, which makes it difficult to take time off to go vote. Um, also, just like all of the things that uh, we're less likely to have transportation and steady access to transportation than our straight and cisgender counterparts. Um, when we think about all of the things that disproportionately negatively impact our communities, like getting to vote, um, is not always top of mind when you've got like 25 different hurdles to get through just to get through the day, right? Um, so we think it's really important that we tackle all of the things that are barriers to voting um, and make it as easy as possible for people to get there and cast their ballot. It's a fundamental right of an American and we ought to make sure that everybody not only technically has that right, but in practice has that right, that is actually accessible to folks. Um, we love direct action also. We think direct action is how we've gotten the most important gains of uh, the last century or really in human history. Um, direct action is where we win. What we say about voting is that it's a lot easier to get what we need through direct action if we have the right people in office, right? Um, some of the most transformative presidencies that we've had um, in the United States are not held by ideologues, but rather people who are, who are able to be pushed by direct action and pushed by citizens who, you know, I'm sorry, people who live here who give it their absolute all um, to build a different world and a better world. So we think, you know, voting's not the only tactic, but I want people in office. They may not perfectly represent my values, but I want people who are gonna listen to me and get closer to representing my values than the people who aren't even gonna let me in the room. Right. So how would you respond to a person who might ask you, 
or they say they feel like the government has never helped them. Mm -hmm. Why should they waste time voting? Because I know there are people like that. Totally. I mean, hell, Robin, I'd say that's fair, right? <laughs> um, I, I think that, you know, the, the first thing I want to say is that um, we, don't, we don't and I don't view it as my job to tell a single person to vote. Um, I can tell you why it's important to me to vote, and I know that uh, that comes with a lot of privilege. Um, I have white privilege, I have passing privilege, I have cisgender privilege, I have middle class privilege, right? And like, that's what I can think of off the top of my head. If I sat down and wrote through some more, I've got a lot more, right? Um, I'm able-bodied and, you know, like all of these things. Um, so for my experience and my life and for what the world I want to build, it makes sense to vote. And I hope that we can inspire other people to do that, if that makes sense for them as well. Um, what I'd really like to see is a Democratic Party, um, and, and this is speaking as Ali, not as Freedom Oklahoma, um, which is a nonpartisan organization. I'm registered as a Democrat. What I'd really like to see is a Democratic Party that gives a real alternative to what we see in the Republican Party. And um, that's not just, you know, it, it's a false equivalence to say that they're all the same because they are not, right? Like there is a very clear difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. There's a very clear difference between the Republican Party's platform in Oklahoma, which is an anti-LGBTQ2S platform, hands down, and the Democratic Party's, which is a much closer to pro-LGBTQ2S platform. Um, so I don't want to compare the two by any means. But I think the people who are saying the government's never done anything for them are often from communities where candidates for office don't even bother to ask for their vote, right? Don't even bother to get out and be in those communities and work with these people and inspire them, right? It is time to get past this idea that we should be shaming individuals who don't vote and time to get to a place of like asking what can we do differently to inspire people to get out there and do it. Um, I think if we can make that shift, a lot more people are going to come out. Very good. Now let's talk a little bit about Ali Shin. All right, watch. let's do it. <laughs> for civil rights in Oklahoma for over a decade. Uh, I've seen op-eds written by you, uh, standing by Muslim Oklahomans, and debate with local anchors who actually justified police brutality. Mm. So what got you interested in doing this in the first place? Yeah, um, you know, it was really similar to what I was talking about with my experience um, uh, growing up. Um, so I'm sober. I've been uh, sober for eight years in October, so we should say seven years because we don't count them early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've been I've been sober for seven seven plus years, um, and. In that experience, I really reckon I was in and out of county jails, um, and that was the times that that I got caught or the times that I was hauled in, right? Um, and I know that my experience uh, was different because I grew up middle class and because I am white, and that's it. And I think once we recognize that I'm not like once I recognize that I'm not some special creature that deserves this, right? Um, but that something really wrong is going on where my friends are treated differently than I am. Just seemed like we ought to get in there and do something about it. Um, I was really drawn to the ACLU because that is um, an organization that really aligns, all of my values align there. Um, but I've also been really inspired by 
so much of the work that happens here in Oklahoma, um, ranging from, I know we have a, a shared friend, Jennifer Seal. Uh, she was one of the, the first people that I was knocking doors for. And while she, I was, I was young, maybe 13, 14, um, but I loved her. Um, and she didn't ever make it into office, but like she absolutely is a person that made it possible for all the young women that are in now, right? To have made I it agree. Into totally, absolutely, she did. And I'm just like, I'm in love with that. I'm in love with all the groundwork that is laid. Um, I'm in love with the way Matriarch does work. Um, this, this group that works to empower indigenous women. I am oh, absolutely in love with Dream Action. I can't say enough good things about them. If you, if there's an injustice, Dream Action is there. Um, and they have done such amazing and powerful work. And then I'm in love with, I, th I think it's very natural for queer and trans people. We are natural organizers because we've had to be. We're not born into uh, a community. We're the only marginalized group that's not born into our community, right? But when we find our community, somebody's telling us about Stonewall. Somebody's telling us about Harvey Milk. Somebody's telling us about Marsha Johnson, about all the amazing things that happened here in Oklahoma, about angles, about the history here and people standing up and fighting back. Somebody, I mean, I remember Jim Roth on the paper, on the front page of the paper, right? I. Um, you know, really knew who these leaders were. And that was so important for me as a young person. And so I guess what happened is I'm queer and I'm grateful and I'm mad. And that's a pretty good, pretty good combination, right? Um, I'm grateful for everything that was handed to me and I'm mad about everything that we don't have. And I just want to hand something better to the next generation. What were some of or just give one example of the most challenging case you worked with while you were at the ACLU. Hmm, okay. Uh, so I'll say that a place that really shifted the way that I think about political action um, was in the battle over 780 and then protecting state question 780. So the ACLU um, heavily involved in the 780 campaign, which reclassified uh, drug possession and um, minor property crimes as a misdemeanor, uh, pri previously felonies. And, you know, I was really involved in that campaign and stumping for it statewide and making sure that we had everything we needed to be able to win here. And on the same night that all 77 counties voted in favor of Donald Trump, uh, Oklahoma also voted to have some of the most progressive sentencing reform in the country. And we were really proud of that win. Here's where we got it wrong. Um, we thought, uh, we thought that sending that clear message that the people want criminal justice reform to the legislature would really put momentum on our side when we went into the legislature in January. What happened instead is something like seven bills to immediately undo what the people had overwhelmingly adopted, um, were filed and we spent our whole session, instead of pushing for more, we spent it trying to defend what the people had just said they wanted. And we did it again the next year and the year after that. I, like, I, I mean, hell, they'll be doing it forever at the ACLU. And like, I am just so in awe of the people who are there and continuing to defend 780 and continuing to push for more because this work is not done. Um, but I think that what that helped me understand is that if we want to have real organizing power in Oklahoma, we have to do that by organizing county by county, town by town. We have to have a real political organizing force um, across the state. And what appeals to me about LGBTQ2S work after receiving that lesson of like, 
I would go home and tell my partner at the time, I cannot believe that I'm getting home at midnight to defend the thing we already won, right? <laughs> like, it's not even, like, I'm not coming home at, at midnight to you with a victory. I'm coming home with a, okay, we got one more day of not losing this thing we already won, right? Um, and what, what really shifted for me is, is this idea that LGBTQ2S people, again, we touch every single community. We touch every socioeconomic class. Um, we touch every profession. We touch every political party and every political aspiration. Um, I think that because of that, our communities have a really, really important opportunity to also be the leaders of change in Oklahoma. That can only happen if we're making uh, real progress and like making real space for every single member of our community. Um, but I think that we can do that. And if we can do that, then, then things like that don't happen anymore because we've got the power of the people and with the people on our side, the legislature's gonna have to fall in line. Yeah. So you've talked quite a bit about your job at Freedom Oklahoma. So tell us if there's anything more that you'd like to add about that. And how did you make the leap how did you make the leap from the ACLU to Freedom Oklahoma? Yeah, I won't bore you with any more freedom stuff. Thanks, for <laughs> sure. thanks. I, I love the org, you know, and I love the org. Yeah, um, yeah I, just, you know, when that job came up and opened, everything that I just told you, I, I think LGBTQ2S communities, um, I want to say a note that uh, we're shifting to always saying LGBTQ2S. Um, I want to say that two-spirit folks have a uniquely indigenous experience and we have not done a good job. We at Freedom Oklahoma are we as a movement of making space for that uniquely indigenous experience. We cannot place uh, two-spirit people under any of those other umbrellas. Um, we have to make space for uniquely indigenous identities. Um, so when that job came open, it, it really, I, I love the ACLU dearly. I love doing that work. Um, I would do it again in a heartbeat and uh, probably will someday. <laughs> um, but for when this job came up, I just seemed like an opportunity to go home. Um, the first time I ever felt at home in my entire life was coming out as, as queer. And, um, you know, the way that these communities held me um, the way that LGBTQ2S people showed up for me in a way that, like, I, I mean, just a love I didn't even know was possible. Um, to me, it just seemed like, you know, these people have done so much for me, and I want to do my part to do right by my people as well. So it was, a, it was the, the more community-minded effort appealed to me. Um, being with my people appealed to me, and I've, I've loved it. We get to build community, we get to be with our people, we get to be with our cultures, um, and that is really special and important work. I'm lucky to do it. So, last question. Are you proud to be an Oklahoman, and if so, why? <laughs> oh man, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely am an Oklahoman, right? I, I wasn't born here, but it gets in your blood, and here I am, here in Oklahoma. Um, I, I think that there are some really rich cultures and identities here in Oklahoma. Um, and I think that, uh, there's something really special about being a member of a marginalized community in Oklahoma because we have to hold each other pretty close and pretty tight. Right. Um, and so a lot of the things that make it hard to be in Oklahoma also make it really beautiful and easy to be a member of an LGBTQ2S community, right? We're, we're closer, we're tighter, we still have lesbian bars here, right? They're closing down all over the country. We still need them. Um, and I love, I love that aspect. I love that, like, 
immediately we have the shared experience of being queer in the Bible Belt. Um, Oklahoma's got a long way to go. And what I have been thinking a lot about lately is that if we love a place, we hold a place accountable. If we love people, we hold them accountable. Because this, this sickness, the way that we're treating um, pretty much anybody who's not white and cisgender and wealthy in Oklahoma, um, the way we're treating everybody that lives here is damaging all of us. And we ought to love ourselves and each other enough to, to not only ask for better, but to demand it. Um, we're taught that you know standing up and speaking out isn't polite, um, that it isn't based in love. Um, but I think that we ought to be a little angry and we ought to get into a little bit of trouble. And all of that can be deeply rooted in a loving experience. I love Oklahoma, I love my family, I love my communities. Let's ask them to be a little better. Great. Well, you were amazing, and I want to thank you again. Yeah, thank you. You bet. You bet. And Allie's story just shows you how using adversity as momentum can really change a community. If you'd like to learn more about the issues we talked about today, we've linked Freedom Oklahoma's website below. Once again, I'm Alex. And I'm Robin. And this is the Gailey Podcast. <laughs>